us down to the last comic shop in five, four, three, two, one. Hey, hey, it's now time for the last comic shop. That is correct. We are opening the shop up to newbies to help them find their way under this giant comic book tent of ours. And we're keeping the lights on for the oldies uh, who want to level up by learning about comic books and uh, maybe leaving that door open for whoever else is going to stop on. By. Yeah, you never know who's going to drop by the last comic shop. Never know. Oh, shit. I didn't know you wanted me to say something. <laughs> hey, Mikey. Hey, Mikey. Hi. I'm sorry I was over here flipping through back issues of Omaha the Cat Dancer, and I was just kind of, like, mesmerized. <laughs> That's a dirty book. It That's, is. You should not be talking about that this, on this show. The host with the most, Andy Larson, and his co-host, Jay Scott and Chad Smith, will not have that kind of smut. Right. Sure. I also I want to know who in their right minds thinks I'm going to pay two fifty for an issue where all the pages are stuck together. Yeah. <laughs> I thought he meant the Omega the Unknown issues from that no, uh, the water dance. That's part. what I was looking for, but I stumbled across <laughs> this. <laughs> All right. The alphabet is wonderful. Well, we hope that you stumble upon the opening of today's show, which is a special treat for all of our last comic shop fans. As you may or may not know, Mikey and I are huge fans of the Doom Patrol. And there is a new Doom Patrol book coming out on stands next month. But the deadline to get your pre-orders is coming up fast. March 5th is the last day for pre-orders for the Unstoppable Doom Patrol number one. And we hope that you get all the issues. And to help out with that, we've got the writer on today's program, Dennis Culver. He's going to be stopping by the last comic shop via the magic of technology. But in any case, yeah, we have the Archive Rama 3000. We're going to fire it up. We're going to get Dennis Culver on the line now. Yes. Oh, that's a modem. That's a modem for the kids out there who don't know. That's what America Online used to sound like. Which you would get in the back of your comic books, the little sample disks. It took, it took like 15 minutes to connect so I could read the email of my fiancé dumping me. So, <laughs> but you could back in 19, like line by back line. Back in 1996... Uh, it was an awful long time to wait to learn that she was screwing her chiropractor. Uh, <laughs> Boy, if that doesn't get your neck out of shape, I don't know what will. Oh, this is all gold. I hope you're using all of it. Oh. All right, we're here with Dennis Culver, and he's going to talk about lots of comics. So thank you, Dennis, for stopping by the Laugh Comic Shop. Are you excited to be here? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm happy to be here and happy to talk to you guys. Well, awesome. Uh, as we often do on The Last Comic Shop, it's an opportunity for all of our fans to kind of know you not only through your works, talking a little bit about the future state Gotham. We're going to be talking about the new Doom Patrol book that you're writing that's coming up in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, it's also to get to know you as not only a comic book writer, but a comic book fan. So my question to you do you remember the first issue of a comic book you actually like really loved or may maybe got you into comics? Yeah, I actually, I, I'm from Florida originally, and I don't know if you guys are aware of this, but SeaWorld used to have this water skiing DC superhero show. Uh, so you'd go and it was like a bunch of DC superheroes on water skis and all that. I've seen like the memes on the internet. And so 
as you're coming out of that thing, there, there are people dressed as superheroes handing out comic books. And so I was given uh, a Batman issue. I think it's 318, if I'm not mistaken. It's like him and Catwoman. And that is very specifically, I remember the first time I had like an actual comic book. And I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. I just, I, I just also want to point out that that SeaWorld show, possibly the only time Black Racer actually makes sense as a character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think they had Black Racer either. Oh. Ironic. Yeah. Why would you have the guy on skis? I mean, it's the, sh- I mean, it's the show about skis. That's like having, I don't know, a surfing yeah. competition and not having Silver Surfer show up. Four-year-old brain would have been ready for the new guides. That might have been. <laughs> <laughs> and then growing up, I, uh, I started getting into X-Men, uh, like you do, and uh, following As those one comics. Does, yeah. Like, pretty much X-Men is when I was, like, cemented in fully into the comics industry. Nice. Now, which, which era of X-Men? Because they're very distinct periods. Claremont, right around the time that Jim Lee was coming out. Okay. Um, so I was in the real sweet spot for it, where I, I kind of eased my way in, and then suddenly Jim Lee was on the scene, and it was, like, blowing my mind. And then as I got into high school, I was actually reading Grant Morrison's Doom Patrol as it was coming out on the stands. Oh, that's um, awesome. Nice. So I was hitting it at right the perfect time. Like a, as a teenager, hitting that Doom Patrol was coming out, I was like the best. Very um, cool. And then uh, the other piece of that is I've been drawing since I was like four or five years old, too. Nice. And so that kind of goes hand in hand. I, I feel like most people that end up writing comics aspired at one point to draw comics. So, I think it's, uh, kind of, I've actually drawn full blown graphic novels and stuff. Uh, but you know, I'm much faster as a writer. Uh, I think as, uh, as I worked more with writers, I started realizing I had a lot of opinions on stories and that kind of evolved into me writing my own comics. You're a hell of an artist too, though. Like I have Edison Rex, the monkey brain. Yeah, Edison Rex was a comic I did with Chris Robertson. Yeah. Uh, which was kind of a analogs for a lot of modern superhero characters, but it was basically what if Lex Luthor win or won and started mm-hmm. trying to do the job of Superman. Uh, and we had a blast doing that comic. Uh, yeah. You know, we we pretty much co-plotted it, and then you know we we did we did 18 issues of that. So yeah, it was a super fun yeah. book. You do seem pretty collaborative as a writer. So you're talking about co-plotter things with Chris uh, Robertson and Future State Gotham. You were co-writing with Josh Williamson. What's your process like when you're on the the creative end of writing and you have to work with somebody else? What does that look like? Co-writing is is different almost every time you do it. It's real project specific too. I also co-wrote uh, Justice League Incarnate with Josh Williamson. So you compare like Future State Gotham and Justice League Incarnate, even though I was co-writing both of those because of the nature of what those things were the process between those two books was very different future state gotham i ended up doing a lot of the heavy lifting like we would have the conversations and everything but because justice league incarnate was spinning directly into dark crisis and we knew that was coming there was just a lot of big brain planning that josh had to do with the rest of dc and figure all that stuff out so it was definitely a more complicated process Mm -hmm. I guess speaking to that point about like, uh, again, like editorial kind of coming in with big grand plans, like we're talking about two particular uh, series that you wrote, both that involved like giant events, you know, one upcoming at DC with Dawn of what Dawn of DC uh, and, and Doom Patrol. But then you also were working with Future State, which again, originally came out of what 5G that was supposed to be a Dan Didio thing. And then it kind of got chopped and channeled and eventually became future state 
did you have to pitch your ideas to kind of fit or like how did you get involved with these i, I guess these big massive projects that the dc was going with well the thing with future state gotham so it, that book came after the the two-month future mm-hmm. state event right and during that event i think it was in uh one of the dark detective issues they had the red hood backups that right. uh josh did with with Giannis, and they were in color but Internally at DC, they liked the manga look of that. And Ben Abernathy, who is the executive editor at DC, um, I think Ben, he was he wanted to try something experimental with doing kind of a manga-style Batman comic that was still set in this future state world. It was pretty much blue sky from there. And we were just kind of given this directive, continue this story. Josh brought me in as a co-writer because he didn't have time to do it on his own. So him and I just started talking and... You know, I started thinking, like, well, if we want to make it manga sensibility, let's do, like, something cool. You know, like, the beginning of Akira, there's that big explosion. And it's like, what if that happened in Gotham? And we've got this big bat-shaped crater in the middle of Gotham City. And it kind of just started with that visual. And it's like, well, what if they, they blame this on the new Batman? And then as we were developing it, the characters of uh, Red Hood and Jace and the next Batman... They just, they wanted to be in a buddy movie together. Like, they just, like, their personalities kind of pulled each other together and just wanted to be, like, the last Boy Scout in a dystopian future. And I was like, that's really fun. And, like, the more they were together, the more they kind of started bouncing off of each other. You know, Red Hood, because he was working undercover for the magistrate, he's he's basically Gotham's top cop, so he's kind of the Gordon to this next Batman, but he's taking a more active role, and it kind of evolved from there, but... None of that was mandated. It was just like, we want to keep this book going in future state. And so we kind of just pitched these big, crazy ideas. I was going to ask, too, what was the reception like? Because I'll be honest, uh, I picked up a lot of the initial future state stuff and then kind of dropped off as, you know. And so it went completely under my radar. And were you getting a lot of crossover from the manga fan fan bases? Like, have, have people picked up on it? Because it is balls to the wall action yeah, and great. excitement. Yeah. And I, I'm certain there's a crossover if people can find it. Yeah, I mean, we did well. I mean, it went for 18 issues, and a lot of that was, you know, like my the second art. My pitch was, well, if there's an ex Batman, there should be an ex Joker. <laughs> and it was just like having this, like, you know, what's the opposite extreme of Joker? And I was like, well, if Joker's Freddy Krueger, I want the next Joker to be Jason Voorhees. You know, and just kind of like <laughs> physically this big, imposing, unrelenting force. And so that kind of carried the momentum of the book. I, I probably could have gone to 30 issues of that book. But, you know, it was, as we got further away from the future state event, it became less and less relevant as, as time went on. Mm, um, right. DC lives um, in else worlds. You can always pick it back yeah. up. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's a really neat concept because, again, a lot of the times when you have Batman and kind of the Bat family with these else worlds, you can kind of put your stamp on it. Like, again, whether it's like, you know, Gotham by Gaslight or, or, or Batman as a vampire or whatever you want to do. Sometimes Batman is a malleable enough character that you can, like, well, what if Batman was in the jungle? I, I don't know. Let's let's go right. with that. And yeah. so, well, I mean, the, the infinite Earths are back after the end of Dark Crisis. So, right. you know, Earth, Future State, whatever that's called, is uh, yeah. it's definitely out there. Um, yeah, it's just kind of throwing Batman into an Akira universe. So, like, if there's folks out there that haven't read Future State Gotham, and but you're fans of manga, if you're fans of anime, or just kind of like those dystopian kind of futures, here's a great opportunity for you to pick up an awesome book uh, written by Dennis. There's, so, there's two trades out, and there's another trade hitting in April. 
And I was going to say, make sure they get to James Gunn's desk because that it would translate perfectly to an animated animated thing. Yeah, 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 I would love it to be an animated thing. I think that would be so cool. It would, you know, especially if they went really stylistic with it. Oh, lots of lots of speed lines would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. The um the the fact that you were dealing with the Bat family that's a big thing with a big long history and lots of characters kind of leads me to my question about the Doom Patrol that I was going because I, I'm a I'm a huge fan of Doom Patrol and and Doom Patrol has gone through so many different iterations from the from the right. earlier days Paul Kupperberg stuff which was a little more straightforward superhero and then Grant Morrison came in and introduced surrealism and and, and all that and then Rachel Pollock took over and that was a blast and everything in between how do you as a writer approach a book that's got that much history involved I'll break mm-hmm. it down um first first off I'm personally a big believer that all your comics count yeah, uh, yeah. so you know, in the, in the spirit of Grant Morrison, when That's, Batman was like, all that shit happened mm-hmm. to Bruce Wayne. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I just, I want anybody that's ever read any of their Doom Patrol comics, like, they count. And so it may not be exactly perfect the way it all stitches together, but it, right. but in my mind, that is their history. You know, and all the retcons and all of that, that's just been the bumpy ride. That's the nature of living in the DC universe. Yeah. Uh, but so they, the Silver Age version, which uh, this year is their 60th anniversary. So it's, it's been around a long time. So when they launched, that happened. The Paul Kupperberg stuff happened. The Grant Morrison twist reveal of Niles, like, you know, being the one that engineered their accidents, mm-hmm. that happened. The Rachel Pollock stuff happened. That John Byrne stuff happened. And if you carry that over to the Keith Geffen stuff, like, he deals yeah. with that John Byrne stuff, too. Yeah. I forgot, of course, the John Arcudi stuff. John Arcudi. Like, all that kind of plays. Because the John Arcudi stuff reflects the Grant Morrison and Rachel that's, Pollock runs as well. Yeah. That's so, actually my recommendation for this because that's an underrated run, the, the Arcudi run, I think. I think it's, it's, yeah. it's super fun. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of interesting takes in there on Robot Man and his relationships. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there's there's some interesting stuff there to build on for sure. Um, but if you kind of follow that and when you get to the way run, you know, through uh, the rockiness of 52 and all of those things, like all of that stuff is just the nature of living in the dynamic universe that is DC Comics, right? That's very cool. And so you get to the, the way stuff. Some time has passed since that run ended and we're here now. And so in my mind, what they've been up to is they, you know, they're firmly a part of the DC universe because of Lazarus Planet. Metahumans are on the rise. So right. uh, in the DC lore, people have metagenes. Not everybody has them, but they're activated usually when there's some kind of trauma, when there's an accident. You know, and that happened with uh, Rita Farr, for instance, when she had she had that accident, and her body's response to that was to make her, you know, elastic and all of those things. So there's a uh, firestorm, for instance, when that nuclear explosion happened with Professor Stein activated his metagene. The firestorm matrix was formed, and all those things happened. So that is a thing that's going on, and that presents an interesting problem because if you become superpowered in the DC universe, it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to become a superhero. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean you'll become a supervillain. A lot of other things can happen too. Some of those things that happen is, I mean, at best, Star Labs picks you up and runs experiments on you and tries to figure <laughs> out how to solve you. Some of the worst things that can happen, you can end up at Arkham Asylum, right? Yeah. And yeah. you can either become a victim of one of those people there, or you become one of the monsters that dwell in mm-hmm. Arkham Asylum. Uh, I think the absolute worst thing that can happen to you in the DC universe as a metahuman is you get put into the Suicide Squad, yeah. where they put a bomb in your head, and you're literally a weapon that the government is using on Black Ops missions mm-hmm. to go out there. So there's no good options in the Doom Patrol. If you look at their journey, especially from the Grant Morrison run through the Way run, 
I think it's about these characters who have had these injuries that have given them disabilities that they've learned to turn into abilities. And they've also been dealing with their trauma. The TV show is very much about this, too. They've been processing their trauma. Right. And I think when you get to the end of the way run, they are a lot of characters that have healed. You know, they're not they're not all the way better, but they've they've dealt with a lot of their shit or they're in the process of Mm -hmm. dealing with a lot of their shit. And so I feel like when you get to that place of dealing with your pain and dealing with your trauma, I think a natural impulse is to want to help others or show them the way. Right. So what the Doom Patrol is out there doing, and I say this all the time with the series, is they're saving the world by saving the monster. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's very similar to what they've been doing with the X-Men for many, many years. Because, I mean, the whole notion of there's there's folks out there that have special abilities uh, that are being hunted. Some of them are become radicalized. Other ones become uh, whatever. I mean, that's what I'm trying to say is to fans out there that may be very very familiar with the themes of X-Men. This is a very relatable series. So you should pick it up for no other reason than Mm -hmm. you're going to understand this from the word go. You might not know the characters so much. You might know some of them from TV show, I should say, but I have said it for years. Like the Doom Patrol can be like the X-Men for the, because they they are separate from the the Avengers type teams and things. So like the X-Men. When I feel like where the X-Men are at now is so different than what we're talking about, you know, because yeah. like the X right? is like this weird, they're living on their island and they're yeah. in space and they're doing yeah. all these things. And I feel like they've kind of gotten away from that core concept of being kind of in conflict with the rest of the Marvel universe. Right. Yeah. What's that? You're saying there's an easily fillable void that DC could exploit? That's right. That, uh, that turn this into gold? Yes. That's right. Where the, the <laughs> X the X stands for existential dread in this when it comes to Doom Patrol. It was like so I, you know visually that's why the Doom Patrol are wearing orange now. I wanted them to look like first responders showing up and in when they're they're there to rescue the monster whereas other super teams might show up and they're there to just stop them and hand them over to one of those places that we just talked about. Like the Doom Patrols, there they're there to, to help them, pick them up, rescue them, and then take them back to their to their new base, which I'm calling the shelter. So, so, so the I'm imagining that's going to cause conflict with with actual like some of the DCU heroes at at some point. Absolutely, they love the punches. So they're they're taking a more proactive approach. They're suddenly now that there's more metahumans than ever. They're showing up and getting into people's business. The first issue, they go to Gotham City to help a metahuman, and they go there without Batman's permission, and it, it causes problems. Metatextually, if you if you look at the DC universe, and this is this is kind of the conversation with my editor that kind of spawned me doing the Doom Patrol, is I was just kind of talking about how there's really only one big pillar of the DC universe, and that's the Justice League. All the books kind of revolve around that pillar. The Teen Titans is their sidekicks. The Titans are the grown-up sidekicks. Uh, The Justice Society is their mentors. All of those books are satellite books that are just all really core Justice League characters. And then you've got the Doom Patrol, which is kind of this group that's never really been attached to the Justice League in any meaningful way. Like, the closest connection is Beast Boy. Always the freaks and outcasts. They're always the ones that are kind of forgotten. And... I wanted to lean into that and I wanted to build them up so that they do have their own pillar. Because if you look at Marvel, Marvel's got the Avengers and Fantastic Four and the X-Men and all of these different cool things happening. And I think DC is very focused on the Justice League. And I mean, the Justice League is amazing and they're cool, but I love these guys over here that are kind of the underdogs and they're doing this thing. They're they're the weird superheroes. I was going to ask the Doom Patrol, they're known for having such wacky characters 
were there any that snuck up on you that you didn't expect to like, but now, and you don't have to spoil too much, but like any characters like, oh, I didn't even think about using the powers like this, but once you figured it out, really click for you. I mean, Jane's great just because she has so many different superpowered identities that you can lean into. Um, in the Lazarus Planet 10-page story that we wrote, uh, I got to play with a couple of those. And then working with Chris Burnham, his take on all of those characters is really neat, too. But we, uh, in some of the Grant Morrison comics, when they go into Jane's underground, you see just glimpses of some of those characters. And one was just a nun holding a chainsaw. And I was <laughs> yeah. like, I want to see that character in action, like the chainsaw nun. I want to see what that happens. So we kind of talked about it and it was like well she's not going to just have a chainsaw in her mind like she's got to manifest that somehow so i saw it as like she's physically transforming her arms into chainsaws and so it's this chainsaw nun that suddenly comes up and starts fighting so then it's, it's a blast because we get to kind of lean into these like crazy visuals and since everything is firmly planted in the dcu it kind of amps it up too which is fun Right. I'm wondering how you're going to handle Robot Man, because Robot Man's my favorite. I mean, Robot Man is the immortal working man's man. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's, I, I know I, I keep drawing analogies to the Marvel, but like R- Robot Man is like DC's version of the thing. Right. He's like the Ben Grimm. Like he's the he's, he's the, the salt of the he's earth. He's, he's always yeah. there lifting everybody else up. He's the one that you can relate to on that team. Like, you're the one that you're pulling for the most. I, I, I am very excited to see what you do with Robot Man because every single person that's come on, they always have, like, a little bit of a different take on Robot Man. But at the end of the day, those – I don't know. It's like he has these core values that you're like, yeah. I want Well, to yeah, he's like the everyman guy. Like, he's the one that actually, more so than any other character, has the what the hell is going on here kind of moments. Like, he's almost like the reader – uh, sort of in a way because everything is so wacky around him and he himself is wacky but everything is usually you get the brendan fraser rub right now too where he was super oh, hot yeah. Yeah, yeah you know but not only that but you now you have new characters joining the team uh i i did see that you've got two new characters uh beast girl which kind of is awesome because it's kind of a play on having a version of beast boy on the team which is awesome but it's a new character so you get to put your own stamp on her uh can you talk a little bit about her real quick uh, yeah, yeah. She So when we joined the first issue, she's already a member. Like, she's kind of the new kid that, you know, is kind of a part of the team. Her powers are a little different uh, than Beast Boy. She's not really a shape changer. It's just when her metagene activated, it kind of altered her appearance. But the way her powers work, she's able to mess with the primal instincts of people. You know, she's this really cute character, but if she amps up her powers, suddenly everybody's deathly terrified of her. Plus, you know, she's like in her new altered form. She's, you know, this kind of character that's athletic and bouncing around and everything like that. Burnham loves drawing her. She's a super fun character. Like, people are going to love her. And then you've got the Degenerate. He's another one. Other than I got Robot Man and I got Degenerate. And I'm going to, I'm wondering how the Salt of the Earth character and then this guy that just, like, he becomes worse. Like, he becomes a worse person every single time he uses his power, right? That's kind of it in a nutshell. The way his powers work is that he essentially devolves like in in the the meaner he gets it's not it's not really getting angry it's it's being intentionally mean like he if he's intentionally mean he can get more powerful so it's almost like he he has to choose to be a dick and (laughs) passive aggressive (laughs) powers activate that he gets you know, bigger and stronger and more monstrous looking in a way that people haven't really seen yet. It's like, it's it's really cool, but there's a danger there because that meaner and more monstrous he gets, the more he devolves, the more he loses 
his humanity and he can go too far and then he's just out of control. Yeah. And so he's kind of walking that line. And then he ends up in the Doom Patrol where, you know, it's, it's, it's all about healing and repairing your trauma and dealing with all these things. And this is a guy who only works when he's mean, uh, you know, and it yeah. kind of is a, it's a huge contrast between that. And so there's a, there's a lot of tension there. I'm hoping for a slugfest between him and Cliff. Like, Cliff's got to put him down at some point, but he gets out of control. That's yeah. that's some classic comic booking right there. You, well, you, you, could tell the Mar- you could tell the Marvel guys when they say stuff like that. Well, and I meant to say, I meant to say that the, the angle with Jane and the chief thing sounds intriguing. I'm really excited about that as well. That, that's yeah. It. Yeah. So that's, that's the other thing is it, it's, it's a new character, but not a new character, but, right, but right. basically when they were deciding to this new mission, Jane's alters, they, they got together and they created this new identity called the chief is basically there to lead the team. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there's there's some internal conflicts between Jane, who's normally the primary personality, and then the chief who is now running things. So the chief's just up there all the time doing that. And so those, those characters end up in conflict with each other, which is a lot of fun, too. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for stopping by The Last Comic Shop, Dennis. We are really, really looking forward to this uh, Doom Patrol book coming out on the 28th. And last chance to get your pre-orders is, what, March 5th? Is that the last March day for... March 5th is final order cutoff. So, yeah. Okay. The other thing, too, I want to mention is that this book is, it's six issues, and it's kind of designed that way because of Burnham. I don't, I don't know if you're familiar with Chris Burnham's art, but it's beautiful, detailed and beautiful art. The idea is to do, like, six issues, kind of like a prestige television series. The book does well. We'll come back next year and do another six issues, and we'll keep doing it that way. So nice. it's really important to get out there and, and let your comic shop know that you want the book, but also to order all the issues. Like, get get the whole series so that they keep coming back for more and we can keep making these books and can keep the Doom Patrol out there on the shelf. My goal is to build it out like a franchise, like make it a huge pillar of the DC universe and it, it all starts here. Yeah, with, the, with cool. the TV show, this is a perfect time. I mean, that's coming yeah, to an end, but it created a lot of buzz. And so some solid Doom Patrol out there on the shelves, I think is something that we can all look forward to. So again, make sure that you're getting those pre-orders in for the new Doom Patrol series. Pick up uh, Gotham Future State. That's an awesome book. If you like manga, if you like bats, great stuff. Thank you so much for stopping by the last comic shop, Dennis. And we'll see you in the funny pages, buddy. All right, thanks so much. And we will be right back after these messages from our fellow podcasts. Uh, Don't change the channel because you're going to want to stick around for an exciting discussion on polls. That's right. We're going to recap our polls after these quick messages. Barbershop polls. Have you seen the poll, Kruger? It's (laughs) aluminum. It has a great strength to weight ratio. Hazel always knew there was something special about her cat, Mooney, but she's still shocked when Mooney opens his mouth to tell her he's just had a vision. An ancient evil has awoken after centuries asleep, and only one man can stop it, the legendary warrior, Beowulf. Unfortunately, it's been over a thousand years since he slayed a dragon, and he's been reincarnated as this guy. His name is Victor, and he's more unemployed millennial slacker than mighty warrior. Go to monarchpublishing.net for a free sample comic. It was supposed to be a day at the beach. 
but for four friends. One wrong road will put them on a direct course to being the main course. Her name is Grandma Hazel, a chainsaw-wielding psychopathic cannibal, a beast of the backwoods with a body count higher than a bowl of blood-spattered scotch mints. From the creators of Pocus Pocus. Grandma, no! Grandma Chainsaw. Evil has a perm. Hi everyone, I'm Nerd Bomber. And I'm Tactic, and we're two of the hosts of the Online Warriors podcast. Our podcast started as a way for three best friends to keep in touch and discuss their nerdy hobbies like movies, gaming, tech, and more. Since then, we've grown into a great community. Every Wednesday, we chat about the latest nerdy news before getting hands-on with our weekly nerdy adventures. And don't forget our high-stakes trivia game. Come join the fun at OnlineWarriorsPodcast.com and every major podcast platform. And now, back to the show. We are back now. We're going to go through some polls that we had for the last month or two. By the way, this, this run of polls, they were either really, really close or there was no contest. There wasn't <laughs> anything between. I will let you guess on this first one. Was it a really close poll? Okay. Or was it just, there was one clear favorite. Favorite fantasy race. Elves, dwarves, fairies, or hobbits. Oh, so this was about, what? This was with, um, when we had Kelly Thompson on the show. The last time we yes. used the Archive Rama 3000 to bring somebody on. That's cool. Um, I say this was fairly no, this was a runaway. Like, people love elves for some bizarre reason. You mean hobbitses? No, like they, no, they love elves. Hobbitses. They love E-I-L-Fs. They're like, like Liv Tyler in that Nothing one movie. Though, are we talking Lord of the Rings elves where they're all tall and beautiful? Or oh, are we yeah. talking Keebler elves where they make cookies and live Wait, in a tree? Does it matter? They're making cookies and aspiring to become tall and beautiful. Do they sell Elrond fudges? That, oh. oh. Okay. All right. So I, I say they ran away with it, and I say elves won. I didn't. I didn't vote for elves. I voted for hobbitesses. Is this because they eat and drink a lot? And I can agree. And with they it. have hairy feet. So they're my uncle Maddie. <laughs> it's, it's, yes. Uh, Chad, elves. who did you vote for? Uh, yeah, I'm. I'm a fan of the Hobbit cultures, the Elevensies, Second Breakfast, all of them. <laughs> Mikey. I don't remember what I voted for, but I think it was elves because of cookies, cookies and toys. All right, Jay, who who won it? Oh, my vote, elves by a lot. Give us the percentage, because like when you say a lot, people might be like, "Well, that was like what fifty? Well, I mean, they were fifty-six percent, and everybody else didn't get above twenty-five. Well, they they split the vote, right? Like, I mean, hobbits had to be like fairly well, you know. They came in second in twenty-two percent. Good for hobbits. Dwarves were dwarves were they got the short end of the straw. No yeah, pun intended. Six percent. <laughs> Gimli would not be happy with you about That's that. That's right. Or Sneezy or Doc. In any case, what so, was their second poll? Uh, this one's right up Chad's alley. Favorite conspiracy. <laughs> so oh, is it I the... learned this week before you start. Neil Armstrong spelled backwards. Yeah. Gnorts, Mister yeah. Alien. <laughs> Well, that was one of the poll answers. You could vote for moon landing. Was the moon landing fake? Did it was it all a uh, a movie production? So it was uh, JFK assassination, uh, Bigfoot, or flat Earth? I, I went with Bigfoot just because it's the best. I'm surprised Nessie wasn't on there because I would have voted for Nessie. 
I always like the aquatics. I think I voted for Bigfoot because that's awesome. But my, my, my actual favorite is something that, like, I can't say that I believe in it, but it's, like, would be super cool if it was real, is the whole ancient alien concept. Like how aliens came down to Mayan and Toltec civilizations and provided them with, I mean, it, you know, in one breath, it's kind of insulting to these ancient people. It's like, they're too dumb to do measurements. <laughs> but, but like, on the other hand, some of that stuff is weird. Like some of it is genuinely weird if you look at it from a certain point of view. And angles are hard. Yeah. They are terrible. actually, you know what it is? It all comes down to math. Math yeah. must be something very alien to I, I remember being a kid math. and having like the time life series on UFOs and they talked about the ancient aliens and I was simultaneously obsessed with that book but also scared terrified of it because like yeah. I lived out in the boonies on and on a farm every single story was about how people that lived out in the boonies on farms would be invaded by aliens <laughs> Yeah, like they never, they never land anywhere that's like metropolitan or yeah, anything like that. They're, like, they're always like, yeah, let's go there. Yeah, why, yeah, why are they always anal probing these hicks? <laughs> what do they hope to find up there? And haven't they figured out by now that you're not going to find anything? <laughs> like, so who? What one? What one? J.A. JFK. JFK assassination. Is that what you voted I for? Yeah. No, I went Bigfoot just in honor of the Mitch Hedberg joke, where it's like maybe Bigfoot just is blurry. That's right. Maybe he just is. I do dig Bigfoot. I dig I dig that yeah. concept. Do you like Bigfoot or do you like Sasquatch? Sasquatch is just Canadian Bigfoot, so it's just it's just Bigfoot with good health care. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> but actually I'm a big fan of the Mississippi skunk ape. That's my what? <laughs> You don't know about the Mississippi skunk ape? All right, we're getting off topic here. We got a comic after the show, Mikey. <laughs> yes. Tell us all about skunk this. Ape. Okay, so what was uh, poll number three, Jay? Poll number three was uh, favorite Western comic book character. So Western is in like uh, Cowboys and Jonah Hex, the Lone Ranger, Kid Colt Outlaw, or Rawhide Kid. Kid Colt Outlaw got no single vote, but that's yeah. because I don't think we had anyone who was a fan of the Quentin Tarantino movie Once Upon a Time in Hollywood vote on that because the stunt character played by Brad Pitt in his house he had an issue of kid cult outlaw oh, see, well, yeah, kid, you're nobody right. voted for kid cult outlaw because 75 year olds don't use twitter that's, <laughs> that, that's what it is you know? i was surprised though I, I i wanted to see some batlash he was a dandy if i ever saw one but no it this surprised me i know i voted for lone ranger i'm sure chad voted oh for lone yeah ranger. um I but like for- where did all the Jonah Hex people come from? Gosh. Jonah Hex is cool, man. I, I get it, but that movie sucked. <laughs> well, the movie sucked, and we're talking about the comic book. It so was... Jonah Hex won 48% to oh. Lone Ranger's 45%. Oh, they were close. They were close, though. But still, it was like every single time, like, Lone Ranger would just pull ahead just a little bit. Jonah Hex people... would show up and lasso him back. That's right. I, the, I like the Lone Ranger movie. Chad does too. Chad, it's a, it's a decent movie. It's a it little is. long. And then I learned all the stuff about Army Hammer and him being a cannibal and weird. Yeah! Like That Lone Ranger movie is a 45-minute awesome Lone Ranger movie in like a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Yeah, you like spend a lot of the movie waiting for the William Tell Overture, and you're like, yeah. when are they going to play it? When are they going to play it? And then they finally play it, and you're like, yes! Yes, exactly! The part that made me so angry, though, is it, it was a fine movie. I was entertained. It had its ups and downs. 
But there was that dynamite 25-issue series by Brett Matthews, uh, Sergio Corello. Yeah, like, why didn't they just do that? And it was right. it was the best Lone Ranger, and they had it right in front of them, and they ignored it because they wanted Johnny Depp with a bird on his head. <laughs> ah. uh, all right, what was poll number four, J.A.? Poll number four, this was the X-Men and Teen Titans show. So what is your favorite team? It was just a straight-up Teen Titans or X-Men. And uh, wasn't even close. Yeah, even Mike yeah. voted for the X Men, Mister DC well, himself. It's because you use that picture of like the best X Men team that there, are, including Longshot. Who the, the picture you are referring to is the Outback X Men. So you had yes, Psylocke with her purple armor and Colossus and Longshot and Dazzler and Wolverine. Havoc. Yeah, Havoc. Havoc. Yeah. Havoc being on any X-Men team makes them the best team. Because Havoc is, like, easily in the top three, if not number one favorite X-Men of all time. And I think that's my next question. Favorite X-Men of all time. I've named mine Havoc. Mikey, favorite X-Men of all time? Nightcrawl. Oh, good pick. Chad? We're not doing the offshoot teams, because uh, then it would be Jamie Madrox. Uh, but my favorite X-Man starts uh, at the beginning. He's an Omega-level mutant. He's the best. He's the coolest. He is Iceman. Yeah. Iceman was in that Amazing Friends cartoon. But I, I only the snowman in boots, Iceman. <laughs> that's that's, that's Snowman in boots, coming this fall. All right. J.A., What was your? Fa- who's your favorite X-Man? Oh, that's... I, I, I don't know. Probably Storm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mohawk or Nohawk? The Mohawk. Yes. Mohawk Storm. That was I a thought. great era, man. That was a yeah. great era of even I like I like I, I like Kitty now Kate Pride. Yeah, do you yeah. do you call her Kate Pride? Because she's Kitty to me. Like I, I don't did, understand why they needed to call her Kate. Or actually, did they ever actually like settle on a superhero name for her? Because wasn't she Shadow, Shadow Cat, Cat and she was Sprite and she Well she was, was Sprite first and now she and then she was Shadow Cat. She was she's Shadow Cat. Didn't okay. she have like a, an awful name too? It was like it was before Sprite. It was something else, and she had that wonky ass costume that was like rainbow leggings and like I want to say pixie, but that's not it. It was awful. It was like she got dressed in a dark closet that just came out and was just like I don't know. I I don't understand how colors work, but I swear to God, her, her name was awful too. Like it was like just call her Kitty Pride, like Ariel. 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 It was like the Little Mermaid bathtub toy. Or the Little Mermaid. Didn't I say that? You said the Little Mermaid bathtub toy, but, you know, everything the Little Mermaid was named Ariel. (laughs) Just to be specific. Okay, fine. I will point out that Kate Pride derives from Days of Future Past. Oh. So, who knows? The, The Kitty Pride, the now Kate Pride in Age of Krakoa... Maybe that's a Days of Future Past, Kitty. That's Listen true. to you over there. It's not an X-Men podcast as much as you would like it to be. So, any case, our fifth and final poll, and I th- I sent you a text that day when you posted this, and I was just like, this is by far one of the best questions for a comic book podcast of all time. Why is your favorite character magic? No, sorry. It was, <laughs> what is your favorite way of reading comic books? Is it single issues? Is it trade paperbacks? Is it omnibuses or omnibuy? Or is it digital? Have you given up and just gone all digital because it's easier to handle, less uh, shelf space? 
So I I think Chad had the quote. So what what, what was your pick, uh, Chad? Ultimately, so my pick is the single issues because I'm an addict, <laughs> and I need to go each week to my comic shop and get my fix. I would never spend twenty some dollars on some of these stories, but you give it to me four dollars at a time. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But I think your your comment about like with digital versus trade, I think was really uh, telling. Oh yeah, that that's my hot take. Well, my vote was for single issues. I I do say that digital has almost made the trade paperback obsolete. Wow. The only time, well, I buy lots of trade paperbacks <laughs> because digital has a beat on convenience. Digital has a beat on like the number you can carry around. Digital even has a beat mostly on affordability, where you can apply to one of those streaming services and for a couple of bucks a month have access to hundreds upon thousands of comic books. But uh, trade paperbacks are great when you got to go to the beach, you know, and get your iPad all sanded. Or uh, whenever you have that friend, you're like, I don't know if I'm getting this back here. <laughs> so those, that's what trades are good for at this point. What are omnibuses good for? Omnibuses are great. They look real classy. But they're super intimidating. I have to pick an omnibus and be like, all right, so March is going to be Amazing Spider-Man Volume 1. And then chip away at that for a month. April is going to be the Squirrel Girl omnibus. May is also going to be the Squirrel Girl omnibus. And boy, do I, I really want that Squirrel Girl omnibus. I don't know. <laughs> what were we talking about? All right, J.A., you voted for ob- obviously omnibuses. You are omnibus champion here. Although I might be wrong. I mean, you might have voted for Trey. Who knows? No, omnibuses, because I uh, I think they beat Trey's on two points. One, you get more story, more bang for your buck, but also they're bigger. So the pages are oversized, where a trade is same size as a comic book. So especially with modern comics, I think the art really sings in an omnibus. There is the people that don't like omnibuses reprinting silver age comics because they're recoloring and then there's a big thing about recoloring versus original color versus dot matrix that there there are some purists that can't stand it and so they they insist on just getting tashins because you know that's the way it's meant to be read say the tashins are so beautiful you have to look at those pages with all the dots oh my goodness all right all right all right mikey what did you vote for I voted for for floppies just because they're just easier to manage and and you know omnibuses are usually sort of out of my range but I've been buying them more often and omnibuses piss me off because especially marvel ones because the they like underprint some of them and some of them they don't and like like these these Captain America Brubaker ones like the first 3 that I got were like under $50 but the fourth and the fifth one are like 200 300 bucks because they either underprint it. So I only have like part of the story or like a random one will be like super expensive. So I don't go that way. But I also like absolutes because they're pretty. And Jay, what happens when they finally do reprint that omnibus that you've needed for years they, and years? They put it out with a different dust cover so that when you line them up on your shelf, they don't look the same. I don't like the frustrating. But then you've got to go on Reddit and there's a guy that's making a living making new dust jackets for omnibuses because Marvel can't get their shit together. (laughs) I thought you said nude dust jackets. Like, oh, this one's just see-through. Look at that spine you've been waiting for this whole time. Oh, yeah. I love those nude omnibus covers. (laughs) Look at that skin. Have they started collecting like X Men issues chronologically by any chance? Like, 
my favorite era was reading like somebody else that I went to high school with. I read his X-Men stuff like through that, like 186 one that like yeah, life yeah. death era and stuff like that. So you can get uncanny X-Men omnibus volume one starts with giant size X-Men and is the beginning oh. of the Claremont run. And then you go omnibus two, omnibus three, omnibus four, and they're coming out with omnibus five. If you buy all five, you've got unbroken run from, Giant Size X-Men 1, all the way up till Mutant Massacre. But they have released the Stanley, Jack Kirby, and everyone else, those initial runs, two of the Volume 1. Yes, yeah, yeah you can get an X-Men Volume 1 omnibus, which is the Stanley, Jack Kirby X-Men, and then X-Men Volume 2, which is Roy, Roy Thomas, Thomas. And Arnold Drake, and... Yeah. But what do they call the Jim Lee ones? Because I, I have one of those that I picked. That is the G- X-Men by Jim Lee. Ah. Volume one and volume two. The volume one isn't just Jim Lee because it's also you get uh, uh, Will Portacio. All those X Men omnibuses are so overpriced now, like two hundred and seventy two dollars for yeah. volume two. Yes, so I, that's the big one because they reprinted it twice, but they never put print enough of them. It's it's forced limitability or something is yeah. whatever oh, it is. Yeah. But keep your peepers peeled, Mikey. You might be able to find the Dark Phoenix omnibus, which contains a lot of those stories. Plus. Ooh. The secret, what was the miniseries, J.A.? Dark Phoenix has the untold story bits from classic X-Men where Claremont added bits. So who won this poll, J.A.? I mean, this was was the tightest poll I've seen in forever. I'll tell you who won the poll. Single issues and trade paperbacks tie. Single issues and trades, 34% each. So I, I guess you get people who they love their single issues and they love, you know, having that book at the beach. That is, trades are so disposable. The single issues, you file them away in your, your boxes. And... Would you read a single issue on the toilet? Definitely reading the yes. trade on the toilet. Yeah, no, I'm reading a trade on the toilet. I mean, I it's, sitting, it's like single. sitting there in, 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 in the bathroom for, you know, reading because material. My, my singles are now collector's items. They, they sit in a box and they, they collect dust. I buy them because I need them, but I'm not going to read them. Like, am I going to open up my, you know, 2001 issue eight with the first appearance of Machine Man? Hell no. I might as well freaking slab it. Because oh, like, I'm not going to Oh, read don't it. go there. <laughs> don't do it, man. Uh, all right. All right. Well, that's all our polls. Make sure that you're going out our last comic shop Twitter account over at last comic shop. Uh, every single week, Jay is nice enough to put out our Twitter polls. Real quickly, guys, before we get to the end of the show, you've got 10 seconds for a quick recommendation on this week's show. So we'll start off with Mikey Wood. Mikey, what's your recommendation um, this week? Um, I'm going to recommend the uh, John Arcudi run of Doom Patrol. It's an underrated run, and I don't know if it's collected or anything like that, but back issues are pretty cheap. You know, uh, it was 22 issues, and, and it was good stuff. Yeah, I'll, I'll go next. I'm going to recommend, because uh, we were talking about Tatian earlier with their giant size, awesome reprints. They also put out an, a, a smaller series of books. They're actually almost pocket size. They're called The Little Books. I have, in fact, the, in front of me, The Little Book of the Fantastic Four. And if you are a fan of Marvel or you want to be a fan of Marvel because of the movies, these are great books to pick up because they're relatively cheap. I know I picked up The Little Book of Fantastic Four for about five bucks. And uh, it really does provide you with not so much the issues or individual stories, but a lot of the art, a lot of the covers, 
sampler platter of the great stuff that was going on during the run of Fantastic Four or Hulk or Spider-Man or something like that. So if you're really like new to these particular characters, these are great books to pick up so that you can kind of get well-versed on the history of that particular franchise. Chad? All right, so I really enjoyed uh, Future State Gotham from uh, Dennis Culver this week, Mm -hmm. uh, where it has that manga style, and that definitely reminded me of, in the 60s, over in Japan, they made manga-style Batman comics, which I was able to find an affordable copy at Ollie's, where they have good stuff cheap, of uh, Batman the Hero Kawada Bot Manga. Uh, And there are at least three volumes... Uh, you can find them, uh, you know, at your local comic shops on Amazon, at, you know, sometimes discount chains. But it is uh, 60s era Batman stuff, but told in that manga format uh, with crazy villains. You get your Dr. Phosphorus style guys and like it's it's tons of fun. So that's what uh, Gotham Future State reminded me of, uh, which I recommend that, too. That was also really cool. All right. Jay, wrap us up. I'm recommending a trade paperback, Solar Man of the Atom Alpha and Omega. It's out of print, but you can find it pretty cheap on eBay. It is the story of Solar Man of the Atom, how it came. So when they ran the first 10 issues of Solar, they had two comics. They had the sort of the current comic, and then every issue had this insert, which was telling the story of Solar, you know, how he, he came about. And it ended in issue 10 with, what was the last panel of what they're calling the Omega panel, which is the founding, you know, the starting moment that that the world dies because solar opens up a black hole in the middle of a nuclear power plant. And it was 10 full frame, two page layouts all put together to make the, at the time. And I think maybe still is the world's largest single comic book panel. The trade paperback comes with a fold out poster that is full sized. So you get this massive poster of Barry Windsor oh, wow. Smith art of the Omega panel, which is this city being sucked into a black hole because Solar has flown too close to the sun. Solar destroys his universe and then recreates his universe using his vast power as the Valiant universe. So he like he creates the fact that there are superheroes running around and like you know, spider aliens and all this stuff. So I thought that was like a really interesting way to like explain how your universe started. So I've always loved Jim Shooter's idea of like having somebody that had godlike powers actually create the entire kit and caboodle. I've always, I've always loved that. And I also love the fact that there's a lot of folks that listen to The Last Comic Shop. But if you are one of those folks that haven't rate, reviewed, and subscribed yet to our awesome show, make sure that you're checking us out over at www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific place where you can find all of the links to all of those podcasting platforms that we like to have our shows on. And we've got upcoming interviews in the next couple of weeks. We're finally going to be finishing off our interviews from Baltimore Comic Con of last year with some great uh, interviews with folks like Greg LaRoque and Ron Mars and Alex Savek, who did an awesome run of Spider-Man, one of my favorite issues, uh, Web of Spider-Man 66. Yeah, make sure that you're checking out that episode coming up in the next couple of weeks, uh, as well as making sure that you're going out to our website to get the link to bcwsupplies.com. It's another wonderful place where you can get all of your comic book supplies, like bags and boards and long boxes and short boxes and all stuff. 
And uh, you can use the promo code LCSPOD to get 10% off your order. And we hope that you do because every little bit helps us support our continuing mission to bring you awesome comic book reviews as well as interviews like our one with Dennis Culver today. And you can find reminders of all that content, plus polls, plus Gold Age covers to put you to bed, plus reminders about that LCS pod code for BCW Supplies over on our social media accounts. We are at Last Comic Shop most places. Or you can always head back to home base, which was www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com, where they can find what else in our merch store, J.A.? Uh, you got uh, T-shirts, mugs, tote bags. Uh, we've got that beautiful Mikey Wood art St. Paddy's Day inspired shirt that you can get. It looks great on a baseball tee, I reckon. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for making that for us, Mikey. It is seriously one of the hottest sellers out there on our website right now. People are eating that thing up. So make well, sure that you get your copy because if we can get enough people to, we'll keep it on there. Well, you promised me you were going to burn those photos, right? Like, <laughs> I'm not going to... I need certain insurance policies Jennifer just in case Lawrence things go south. Very, Jennifer Lawrence is a very famous actress now, so that would embarrass well, her more than it would me. Oh, listen oh, to yeah. you. Jennifer Lawrence will be so mad. <laughs> Because you know she's listening to the podcast. (laughs) Okay, so with that in mind, we thank uh, Mikey Wood for coming out. We thank Dennis Culver for being part of the show today. Uh, We hope you guys uh, support your local comic shops. Uh, If you don't know where they are, go to www.comicshoplocator.com where you can find a shop near you that can hook you up with some old school Solar Man of the Atom. Maybe some Doom Patrol. Maybe some Bat Manga. And maybe those Tation, is it Tation or Tation? Whatever it is, they have little books out there. They're great. Pick them up. Support your local comic shop. Support the industry. Uh, and we appreciate that. Yes. And make sure that you're going out there and pre-ordering The Unstoppable Doom Patrol by Dennis Culver. Thank him so much for coming on the show this week. And uh, we want to make sure that we got plenty of Dem Patrol on the shelves going forward. So get out get those copies. In any case, until next week, I was the host with most Andy Larson. I was joined by Chad Smith, Jay Scott, and the wonderful Mikey Wood. And until next week, stay safe, stay doomish. I don't even know if that's a word. And remember that if you haven't seen the comic book about constipation, it hasn't come out yet. Did you, gotta, did you hear? You gotta stop with the dad jokes. Did you hear Howard Chaykin's joke this weekend that was really good? What was that? Why are comic books considered a medium? Because they're very rarely well done. <laughs> that one's good. Comic Shop was a 2023 Black Angus production.